Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers on mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for today, thank you for bringing us to church. We thank you for how you've been blessing us with the adoration, confession of sins, confession of faith, prayers. Lord, it's time to hear your word. We ask that your spirit will rest upon your word as it's been proclaimed in the name of Jesus. That your spirit will rest upon our hearts to receive in Jesus' name. That your spirit will rest upon our hands and our legs to do what you've commanded us in the name of Jesus. Bless your word in our hearts that will not be hearers alone, but doers of your word. Bless my thoughts and meditations and my delivery, O God, to bless your people in Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. I'm thankful they didn't reduce this thing when you guys, your eyes were open. (laughs) Um, Okay. Firstly, before I introduce myself, um, firstly, congratulations to all Real Madrid fans in the house. All right. And all Liverpool fans, um, I know you're walking alone now. Um, but it's not so bad that some people are not in the first four, right? They're not in the first four at all. They're just somewhere down their own table. Awesome. I wasn't going to mention it. I wasn't going to call their names, but uh, they've identified themselves. Okay. Watching with us for the first time or for the first time online, my name is Tomi Olariwaju. I'm one of the guys on the preaching team. I also like to introduce myself as the shortest preacher we have, and that's why they always have to reduce this. Okay, okay. Yeah. Ladies in the house, praise the Lord. All right. Yeah. Don't be I'm not about to yabby, I promise. I actually think ladies are very, very impressive people. Yeah, yeah. Let me finish now. Let me finish. I've never started preaching yet. You're so excited. It's good, it's good. Um, starting from when we're in secondary school, at least about three to five days in a month, they have to deal with discomfort, some form of pain. Yet they will still come to class with the rest of us and still lead the class. When I was in Jason Tresestri, a lady led us throughout. The only way we could prevent her from getting all the prize for every subject in SS3 was that boys met together and they said, four of you focus on chemistry. Four of you. <laughs> No joke. Four of you focus on physics. Four of you focus on maths. They didn't invite me because they knew I didn't stand a chance. <laughs> and that was the only way Yetunde got eight gifts out of 12. All right. It was still a failure. It was pathetic. Ladies are impressive. Then they grow up, right? And then they, get, they marry and get pregnant. And all the discomfort and pain that comes with that, yet they will still show up in the workplaces and still be judged with the same criteria that the men are judged with, and many times they try it. 
or maybe even pregnancy and all the stuff that comes with that. You know what impresses me about ladies when they get pregnant? It's not that they just give birth to the child. It's that they still have the courage to say, I want two or three more children after going, after going through the experience. I don't know how you do it. I think you guys are amazing. But it does, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't end there. Right. Then they become mothers. And the stress continues. In fact, there's a high chance that before my sermon is over, a nursing mother will carry her baby out because the baby is disturbing all of you. And then there are the stubborn nursing mothers. They say, all of us will suffer this thing together. You know what I'm talking about. You see them in church. They just carry their face. I see the child is not doing anything. Mother, a mother's love, a mother's care, a mother's concern. It's impressive. Last week, a nursing mother had to step out of the church. And I had the privilege to help her carry her baby. Five minutes later, she ran out. I said, what happened? So I, I thought I had my baby crying. She couldn't even focus in church. Late, even though because you guys have been clapping since I said she clap again for mothers, right? right? So yeah, a mother's love is intentional. A mother's love can be fierce. Not just human mothers. Not just human mothers, even animal mothers, if you know what I'm talking about. Now I'm pretty brave when it comes to animals. I am actually very brave. Like, I see a snake and I can chase it to kill it. I do that. And some of you will even say, because I grew up in London, that's why I experienced this. I kill goof rats. Like, really big rats. I will chase it and kill it. But one of the most dangerous animals in the world, as far as I'm concerned, is a mother hen. Have you seen those things? They are monsters. See, when I was five, there was this mother hen in the neighborhood. I used to kick it before it had babies. Then it had babies. So I was kicking it, and I picked up one of the chicks. Yeah, it didn't end well. It didn't end well. Mommy told me to drop the thing. I said no. So I then threw the baby recklessly. And then I turned. That thing waited for me to turn. It didn't attack me. It waited. When I turned, oh my God. It jumped, pecked the hell out of me. Till today, if I see a mother hen coming this way, I'll go the other. I'm not till today, I will turn the other way. A mother's love is impressive. But there are certain times where you just prefer if they love you a little bit less, right? Just a little bit. And for me, it was when I was going to body house in SS1. So my mom came to me the night before, as I was packing my room, she came. And she gave me the talk for the seventh time that week. And she's like, in Yoruba, which means, remember the child of who you are. And I'm like, I can't forget, mom, you reminded me in the morning, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. Then she says again, respect your elders. She's saying all these things. This is different between mothers and fathers. My fathers were just there. My father was just staring at me, just staring at me. For a very long, just staring. And then he said, listen to your mother. That's all he said. That thing set me straight. <laughs> For three years, I was fine. I didn't cause any trouble. But it doesn't end there. Then you can imagine when I was carrying my stuff out of um, the boots to go to the hostel, she starts again. Did you forget? Did you take your inhaler? And I'm like, Mommy, you don't have put it in the bag for me. It's so good for me to forget. Did you take your covering clothes? Yes, Mommy. Don't forget to use it. I can't forget. That's the plan. I, I, pl I took it because. And so she begins to throw out all these cliche comments, cliche instructions, these commands that are so normal. And the question is, what will make a woman who is naturally so thoughtful 
Very, very logical, very, very organized to then begin to repeat herself unnecessarily. It is at the prospect of the fact that the child who she loves will be taken away from her. And Paul, in this text, is acting like a Nigerian mother. So from chapter 1, verse 1, you see how Paul was logical in everything he was saying. Everything was fitting step by step. Then you get to chapter 5, verse 16. Don't despise prophecies. Rejoice always. Give thanks always. Blah, blah, blah. You're like, what, what, what are you talking about? Paul himself seemed to be throwing out all this in what we call cliches. Of course, we know we should pray at all times. But Paul himself was saying to the Thessalonian church because of the prospect of the fact that he didn't even know when he was going to, to write to them again. And at this point, I'm sure the Thessalonian church are probably feeling like, oh, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, we've heard. Yes, Paul, we've heard. But in the same way Paul was talking to the Thessalonian church, God is speaking to us as well. My mother was giving those instructions, not because she cared about necessarily my academics at that point. I mean, I was in school to learn. I was in school to pass my exams. But that wasn't the point. At that particular point, when she's giving those instructions, at that point, the only thing she focused on was me. The, com- the comments, the instructions, the commands, all of them were centered towards me. In the very same way, when God gives us commands, when God gives us instructions, the focus is not necessarily on the mission. The focus is on you. God's commands, God's instructions are actually meant for you. Even some, though sometimes they look like they are restrictive, when the actual sense, they are there to protect you. Even though sometimes it looks like it is stifling, but they are there to cause you to flourish. Amen. And if we don't understand this, we cannot have the right attitude towards these comments. We cannot have the right attitude towards these instructions. The title of this series is Wait. Wait. I remember when I gave my life to Jesus. And then and I got converted. My first sin. I'm going to remember your first sin. The thing you I remember because it traumatized. I was, it was bad. I felt when I gave my life to Jesus, I would never, like, they didn't tell me. <laughs> so I went to meet my pastor. I was like, why can't Jesus just take us away now? Why do we have to wait? And then he said, because God is sending you on mission to bring other people to the fold. The disciples of Jesus were asking these same questions in Acts chapter 1. Can you protect, project Acts 1 verse, verse 6 to 8? They said, Lord, okay, in case, okay. Then the guy around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? When are you going to come back in power? When are you going to come back in glory? What did he say? He said, it is not for you to know the times or days the Father has said by his own authority. Do you remember what we were discussing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and chapter 5? The dates and the times when Jesus is going to come. And Jesus' response to us, Jesus' response to the Thessalonian church is, it is not for you to know the date or the time, but what Jesus said after this is very instructive. In verse 8, he said, but you will receive... Okay, KJV actually, I don't like this version. KJV says, tarry in Jerusalem until you receive power. Another way is to say, wait until you are endued with power. Then you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, until the utmost parts of the earth. We are waiting on mission. While we are waiting, what we are supposed to be doing is to prepare to be on mission. And even though we have all these cliche responses, we also understand something. It's not just about a statement being cliche. It's also about the person saying them. And, um, okay. So guys in the house, just let me have your attention a little bit. All right, guys in the house. Um, for those of you struggling to, you know, probably um, date, and you know, you, got, you need some good pickup lines, and you're just used to lame pickup lines, um, like, um, I, I, I actually don't have 
examples. But I don't know how to use it. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to use it. I don't know how to use it. <laughs> but let me, give you, let me give you a secret, a secret. The truth is this. Limp, the reason why pickup lines can be lame is because they're cliche. But in the actual sense, there is no lame pickup line. The girl doesn't just like you. That's a fact. <laughs> fact. 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 And some guys are like, yeah, yeah. I remember there are certain times in my relationship, I'm feeling all these feelings. I'm like, I'll catch a grenade for this babe. I mean, I'll jump out of a train. Then I decide to put emotion to uh, a type. I type everything. I knew myself, I know. This thing is lame. <laughs> and then I send it. And then you see WhatsApp typing, to, to, to. and she goes, oh, Tommy, this is so sweet. And you're like, I know this thing is lame. <laughs> so it's not just about the cliche. It's about the person saying it. It is my prayer today that you will not treat this cliche comment, unfortunately, as the words of a Nigerian mother, but you will treat it as the words of your lover in the name of Jesus. That God will help us to respond rightly to these comments. Amen. And that's why we have titled this sermon, Gospel Cliches. Can I have it? Yeah. Gospel Cliches. Gospel Cliches. And we'll be examining this topic under three headings. When cliches mold, when cliches move, when cliches give life, when cliches mold us to be who God wants us to be, when cliches move us now that we are who God wants us to be, and when cliches give life. So quickly, when cliches mold, when cliches mold. All right. For those of us that are watching with us for the first time, the mission of City Church is what? Other members, what is it? Aha, aha. Shame on you. All right, and, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Group answer. If I call you now, you will know. Anyways, the mission of City Church, Pastor Femi, what's the mission? All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. The mission of City Church is to build a community of worshippers on what? On mission. I don't consider it a coincidence that last week, most Reverend Toki preached on the gospel-shaped community. But the point of a gospel-shaped community is not a gospel-shaped community. God is not building community for community's sake. God is not asking us to wait for waiting's sake. There is a way we ought to respond to the waiting. In the waiting, sometimes there is pain. While we wait, there is suffering. While we wait, our souls can grow weary. There is a way God expects us to respond to it. And so Paul is in the church and he's saying, he said, rejoice always. And you can imagine the Thessalonian church saying, why should I rejoice? Didn't you see how my neighbor was dragged out of his house simply because he confessed faith in Christ Jesus? Give thanks at all times. And you say, I just lost a contract. I don't even know where my next meal is going to come from. That's what they were probably saying. Or in the same way for us in the 21st century in Nigeria, Rejoice always. Why should I rejoice? Do you know what I am going through? Rejoice always. I've been seeking for a promotion for a long time and I've still not received it. And you're still asking me to give thanks in all circumstances. In the kind of world where we live in, that Paul is still asking us to rejoice. Even in the kind of world where we live in, where we find people, you will train up your child, train up a young girl for her to be a brilliant, smart woman. And yet one fool somewhere will decide to defile her. In that same kind of a world, Paul, God is still telling us to give thanks and rejoice always. It even, even goes further to say, pray without ceasing. And for some of you, are like, how long? I mean, can we just be honest in church? There are some times we have been praying and praying and God has not answered. And then we didn't ask at all. And then he answered. 
And then you begin to ask yourself, does prayer even work? Or is it just like God is doing like opera? You get the house, you get the car, you get... And then maybe if it's not to, to my turn today, it will be my turn tomorrow. Does prayer even work? And we're asking all those questions. But this is it. Every generation finds a way to deal with the wave. Everyone wants to cope. There are different ways we cope. So in the time of the Thessalonian church, there's a way they were trying to cope. We had the Stoics, the philosophers, and the Epicureans. The Stoics were those that we say, you know what? It, don't let us focus on what we cannot change. Don't let that disturb us. Let us remain rational and then just focus on what we can change. Things that will make us happy. Don't focus on what will not make you happy. The Epicureans on the other one, on the other hand, let's just call them Jai Jai guys. Just enjoy life no matter what happens. In fact, one of the Stoics of the time, Epictetus, says something. Can you project the quote? He said, it is impossible that happiness and yearning for what is not present should ever be united. Some things are out of our hands and not in our control. I'll say that again. It is impossible that happiness and yearning for what is not present should ever be united. Some things are out of our control. So what is Epictetus saying? It is not possible for you to be desiring something and still be happy. It is very, very impossible. Paul is saying that God wants you to be happy and rejoice and give thanks and yet be able to yearn in place of prayer. Paul is saying God is calling you to do the impossible. And not just in those days. We find in the very same way. We have philosophers in Nigeria today that try to help us, tell us how to cope with the weight. One of them, a Nigerian philosopher, said something. Can you just picture what he said? It's a problem, you know, they finish. Make you try to the what? Enjoy. Well, how loud? What? You know, they finish. Make you try to the enjoy. Say what? Kata, kata, woo, woo. Don't they finish? Try to the enjoy. Problem, no, they finish. Try to the enjoy. Then he, he recommends something for you. Say what? Make we dance like there is no wahala, right? Again, what he's trying to tell you to do is don't focus on your problem. Sweep it under the rug. Enjoy yourself. The problem is this. The problem is that you actually can't sleep your problem on that road. Your problem remains nonetheless. We are the most fun-oriented generation. Never in history have we ever had so many things to keep us happy and pleasurable, yet we are the most depressed. It is not working. It isn't. You can't sweep your problems on that rock. So many of us, most of the time, what we do to so our problem is this. We become indifferent towards the problem. Let's just forget about it. Let's just ignore it. When the process, you are being changed to become an indifferent person, not just to the problem, but to every other thing around you. So even the things that you can change, you will not change it. In the very same way, when Paul is asking you to rejoice and pray, he's asking you to do this because this can actually change you to be the kind of person you ought to be. Christians are supposed to be on mission. And one way that we can do that is to hold in balance, rejoice and thanksgiving, and also pray. You should stand up every morning and say, what is God doing in my generation that I can give thanks to God for? What is God doing in my life that I can rejoice for? But yes, still look around you and say, okay, what has he not done that I can pray about? Look out for what God is doing in your life. Look out for what God is doing in your generation, in your family. The Bible is a very realistic book. Many of us try to feel like, you know what, um, everything is fine. I mean, we have no worry, I have no need. Everything is going on well in the world. The Bible says, no, not everything is going well. But in some of us, everything is bad. Nothing is working. 
Nothing. Throw Buari into the mix and you have a great conversation. Anywhere, it, it works. Inside the bus. Boom. Buari, boom. Conversation starts. <laughs> but Paul, God is showing us this. That again, it's not just that it, it is not true. That everything is bad. Some things are good, even in your life. And you can rejoice about that. The Christian, the church that is going to be on mission is the one that says, I'm going to rejoice about what God is doing and I'm going to pray for the power of God to change the things that I cannot change. Look out for what God is doing in your generation. And some of you might, might be here, you are going through a lot. God is saying to you today, you are not alone. What he has promised is able to fulfill. Though you walk in the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil. Why? Because the Lord is with you. There's a song we used to sing when we were growing up. I have a very big God. He's where? Always by my side. A very big God. By my side, by my side. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Don't just focus upon your environment. Focus upon the word of God. Don't just focus upon your circumstances. Focus on the word of God. Don't just focus on the world. Focus on the word. The kind of church that is going to be a church that is on mission is the one that focuses on the word of God. But not just that. It's also the one that focuses on the world. Because God is not asking us to deny reality. God wants us to be able to focus on the word and rejoice in his promises and focus, it on, focus on the world and pray with his promises. All the two together rejoice over the word but pray over the world. That is how we will be the kind of a church that is on mission. But Paul goes further and says, pray without season. Pray without season. When we read this text, what normally happens is you say, okay, is God asking me to just pray every moment of the day? No. And so we then say, you know, he's just asking you to have a heart of prayer, an attitude of prayer, and stuff like that. And I think that's okay. I think that's true. But if you consider the thing we are talking about, what is actually in First Thessalonians, the idea of wait. What is the one thing that can happen when you are asking, and God is asking you to wait? You can stop asking. So in the actual sense, when you look at this text, pray without season, to me, makes more sense when, in, in that God is, Paul is telling people, don't stop praying. Because it's possible for you in the way to feel so weary, and then you stop praying, and God is saying to you, don't stop praying. I believe in this way, the devil has deceived many of us and robbed many of us because we have stopped praying. It's what happens when we begin to spiritualize wrong things. A woman was going blind. She went to meet the doctor, and the doctor told her that they're going to be blind in the next five years, gradually. And um, fortunately for her, that year, God had spoken to her um, from Second Corinthians. He says, look to the things that are unseen, or the things that are seen are what? Temporary. And the things that are unseen are permanent. And so she says, this is God's word for me. And so she starts to pray with it. Actually, she was praying with it, and she was saying... Um, God, help me to focus on the things that are unseen and not focus on the things that are temporary, not focus on the things that are seen. And then she says, oh, I didn't know God was going to answer me this way. In fact, she saw a vision where she was blindfolded and God was leading her. And at the end of the journey, God removed the blindfold to see him. So in her mind, oh, God wants me to stop, you know, to focus all my attention on him where my hope, my source of joy is not whether I can see or I can't see. 
whether everything is going on around me, but to focus on Jesus and everybody in church. Oh my God, could you just imagine the faith of Sister? Let's call her Bosse. Sister Bosse, it's impressive. Very, very impressive. So what was happening was that our retina was growing thinner and thinner. And so our eyesight was going to get narrow and narrow like a tunnel until it just ends. Very, very devastating time. She probably will not even be able to see her kids graduate. She'll be there, but she can't see. Then one day she was in a prayer meeting and someone came to meet her and said to her, I don't think this is what God wants for you. You see, your vision is becoming like this, but so is your vision of God. Your vision of God has become narrow. You have stopped praying. He said, your vision of God is like this, whereas God is like this. And many of us were in those same shoes. Problems have shrinked your vision of God. Wahala has shrinked your vision of God. But God is not like this. God is like this. God is still healing today. God is still delivering today. God is still causing breakthroughs today. Guess what? A few months later, the Spirit of God woke up and she started to pray. And then she was praying. She said, God, I want my healing. She went to the doctor. Her eyes were killed. Her eyes were killed. What happened there is what we all do. We tend to spiritualize faithlessness. It is faithlessness that will cause you to stop praying. There are times when you are praying, eh? if you're asking somebody for help, let's assume I'm asking um, Mr. Cole, I'm saying, help me, help me. And I believe him. And he doesn't answer me. If I have another option, like Pastor Femi, I will move. That is not true faith in him. True faith in God in saying, there is no other place for me to go. If you don't answer me, I'm done. Until you answer me, I will not stop praying. The kind of people that God wants us to be are those whose news will not leave the ground until we see God do what he has promised in our lives and in our generation. That is who God wants us to be. The vision of City Church is to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews the city spiritually, socially, and culturally. Check history. Every city renewal, every city revival is on the back of relentless prayer. We cannot do anything if we relate in the place of prayer. There's this cliche Christian line. Pray until something happens. Push. Push. Until God tells you, like he told Paul in 2 Corinthians, that my grace is sufficient for you. Don't stop praying. And many of us are here. We have given up. We've spiritualized the whole thing. And I'm just learning to focus on Jesus right now. No, we are faithless. Continue praying. Go back to the place of prayer until God answers you. We are not supposed to adjust to evil unnecessarily. Except God says, okay, live with this one. We are those that are supposed to stand in place of prayer. And God will give us victory. And we can remember that picture when Muhammad Ali was, I mean, yeah, was standing over this guy that he defeated and was beating his chest. As if he did it. But when God responds to us, we can go on our knees and say, God did it. And we can rejoice and give thanks to him for that. Well, prayer doesn't just change our situations. Prayer changes us. Prayer changes us. Jude chapter 1, verse 20. Build up yourself in your most holy faith. Doing what? Praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Ghost. And I know many people talk about, oh, this is referring to tongues and stuff like that. It's not referring to just tongues. Amen. You cannot pray to the Father except you're empowered by the Spirit. It's the spirit of the Father that resides in you that will bear witness that you can then call in the name of Jesus to God the Father to respond to you. So every time a believer prays, 
according to the will of God, according to the word of God, is praying in the Holy Ghost. But Paul says, build up yourself by prayer. Build up yourself by prayer. I wonder if there are levels of influence that God has prepared for us that we cannot attain simply because we've not built up ourselves to be able to undo what is happening there. That maybe those levels of influence will make certain demands from us that we've not built up enough capacity to be able to produce results when that level demands from us. It's the same thing that happens in our lives. I want God to promote me. I want God to give me this. I want God to give me that. The question is not whether God can give you. The question is whether he can handle it. Can you handle it? Listen carefully. We will grow. Everything that is planted grows. City church will grow. We will. God will add to us. It's bound to happen. But one of the greatest, greatest tragedies that can happen is if God continues to increase us and we're not building capacity in the place of prayer. The disciples of Jesus, they wanted to cast out a demon one time. And then the demon didn't go out. Then Jesus came and then he casted out the demon. And they said, why couldn't we cast out the demon? Mark chapter 9, verse 29. Jesus didn't say, oh, because I'm the son of God and you are not. That's not what he said. He said, this kind can come out only by prayer. But he didn't pray on the spot. What happened? He had been praying before. He had built capacity. When the demand was made, it produced results. If we are going to be the kind of a church that will be on mission, we need to be the kind of people that build capacity in the place of prayer. If you have been praying for 10 minutes, it's time to increase it to 15. If you have been praying for 30, it's time to increase it to one hour. Because if we are going to be, it's going to be a tragedy. The worst thing that can happen to us is to get to the point where God wants us to manifest and you are unprepared. You've not built up capacity. That's a tragedy. The kind of people that will be on mission will be those who will push, pray until something happens. Those who have built capacity, those that can rejoice and those that can give, that can give thanks. Those are the kinds of people that God will use on mission. But after we have built up capacity, what's supposed to happen is that we're supposed to move. We've gotten capacity, we should then move on mission. And that leads to the second point, when cliches move. When cliches move. All right. So Paul writes, do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. In my mind, this is one of the most impossible texts in the Bible. Also one of the scariest. Do not quench the spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. We don't have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. See, I did my hand. That's not what we have. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a lesser God. He is true God. Equal in essence with all of them. And you've heard many people say, can God be limited? God can never be limited. Stop and they don't go, God cannot be limited. And in a sense, no, he cannot be limited. But this text shows you in another sense, he can. And that is scary. That is very, very scary. At one point, Jesus, the Bible says Jesus wanted to perform miracles in a particular place. And he couldn't. Why? Because of their unbelief. It had nothing to do with Jesus' ability. It had everything to do with his activity. You cannot limit God's ability, but you can limit his activities in your life. Your activities can limit the activities of the Spirit in a church. 
There is such a thing, listen carefully, there is such a thing as the multifaceted activities of the Spirit. I coined that. Yeah. So don't look for your Bible. Don't be looking at it. Papa Tommy said, it's not there. There is such a thing as the multifaceted activities of the Spirit. The way the Spirit of God acts. One, the Spirit of God acts with the Word. So you find in Acts chapter 10, Peter was preaching to Cornelius, and as he was preaching, the Spirit of God came upon them, and they began to speak in other tongues. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, can you project that? I think we should see that. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. With what? With the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. So yes, the Holy Spirit comes with the word. Two, the Holy Spirit comes. Period. No word. It just comes. You find that in Acts chapter 2. Read from verse 1 to 4. Acts chapter 2 from verse 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the breath of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. In chapter 1, the Bible already said, when they gather, what are they doing? They are praying. It's not Bible study. They are praying. And while they are praying, the Holy Spirit comes upon people. It's what we, really, we don't like to talk about. It's all these weird stuff, these spirit spirit things that we cannot really, really control. So you, I like the Spirit of God in the Word. I don't like it when it's coming aside from the Word. You've turned the Holy Spirit to a buffet party. Oh, I like this one. I want spaghetti. I want some chicken, sprinkle gary on top of it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is not a buffet party. You either want him or you don't. You either accept him on his own terms or you don't. I have seen and I have heard many people that this is what it means, that when the adoration is going on, the Spirit of God can come, period. When prayer is going on, the Spirit of God can come, period. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah said, he said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And when he saw the Lord, I think got to verse 7, he then said, I'm a man of unclean lips, woe unto me. From a people of unclean lips, and fear came upon him because of his sin. In the very instance, in that very instance, the Bible said that a cherub came with um, coal, right? And put it on his mouth. And he said, your sins are forgiven. Isaiah, in the presence of God, experienced immense fear and immense mercy and love. That has been a testimony of a lot of people I know. Even historically, you hear people in the place of worship, in the place of prayer, in the presence of God, they begin to tell you, I experienced deep fear. For deep love. That's just some people will be crying and they'll be laughing and they'll be wondering what's going on and they're confused. It's the spirit of God. That can happen here as well. Some of you have experienced that. You know what I'm talking about. But many times we have limited him. We have, we have, we have chosen the part of him that we like and the part of him that we don't like. Listen, I don't care how successful you are as a church. I don't care how successful you are as a person. I don't care how big you are. If you're not making use of all the resources that the Spirit of God has made available to the church, you're not big enough. You're not where God wants you to be. The devil is a liar. <laughs> you're, not where, you're not where you ought to be. Thank you, Bobo. Yeah. Oh, I don't like all this spooky stuff. Thank you, Pastor. He's still training me on the pulpit. Amazing. <laughs> I don't like all this spooky and weird stuff. It just throws me off. You know, it's just weird. It's just very, very weird. Listen, the details of sex is weird to a four-year-old, but without it, that four-year-old cannot be born. In the very same way, 
The multifaceted activities of the Spirit can be read to you, but without it, the church cannot exist. If this is what started the church, this, of course, is what is going to sustain the church. Amen. I wrote here, I said, we have, realm, we have left the realm of spooky and weird the moment you give your life to Jesus and you were worshiping a God you've not seen before. That is weird enough. I want to get this out of the way. We are not the cool guys. We are weird. It's Sunday morning and you are here. You are lifting up your hands to God. You've not seen him before. You are just getting like, oh, I don't, we just want to be cool. We don't want to focus on this weird stuff. That's gone. That, that ship has sailed. There was one time. I was one time they came to meet Jesus. The guy was blind. And Jesus was going to, you could just lay hands on him and just let him receive his sight. What did he do? He took spittle, spit, he took, poured it inside mud. And, yeah. Jesus, oh, the one that died for you. Yes. That ship, that ship of, it is where? It has sailed 2,000 years ago. We should focus on what we think is word and experience the power of God. The disciples experienced the multifaceted activities of the Spirit. After that, Peter went out and 3,000 people were added to the church. If we are quenching the Spirit, we cannot grow the way God wants us to grow. This is how we become a church on mission. This is how we move. But again, Paul doesn't end there. Doesn't end there. Times might have changed, but we still have the same issues. Paul says, do not despise prophecies. Do not despise prophecies. So it is very, very possible that in the Thessalonian church at that time, it was possible that due to, you know, these debates on dates and times, maybe some people were prophesying and they were saying, oh, this is when Jesus is going to come. This is when the Lord is going to come back. And then when they prophesied, it didn't come to pass. But people's hopes have been raised. And then it is dashed. So people have been hurt because of false prophecies in Thessalonian church. Or maybe all those false teachers that we learned about in chapter 2. Maybe one of the things they do is prophesy and actually dupe people. So the church said, you know what? We are not going to focus on prophecies anymore. Almost similar to the way we actually do as well. Maybe some of us have been hurt by prophecies. I remember when I was in GST, I was working with my friends. And this man of God, he used to sit down there in mango tree. And... That's not supposed to be funny. It's just, it's, I'll just describe it where it was. <laughs> and I was walking with my friends, and he just singled me out. And he said, this boy, you know, the prophet, is going to be a great medical doctor. Your medical doctor. <laughs> I discovered that anybody he likes that's what he says concerning them. He said it to one girl in commercial class. He said another girl in math class. Maybe yours is not as funny as mine. Maybe yours is actually really, really bad. Maybe you lost a lot of money. Or you were really hurt. But I plead with you. I plead with you to just pay attention just a little bit. That if God is supplying, if God says that we need, prof- if God is supplying prophecies, it is because he knows that we need them. I was speaking to Pastor Femi the other day. We were speaking to a group of us. There was a context. Right? I'm not going to talk about that. Pastor Femi said something. He said, he said let, your, let your resources always play catch up with your dreams. Let your dreams. He's a deep guy. Very, very deep man. I was like, huh. Anyways, let your resources always play catch up to your dreams. Let your dreams always be bigger. Then when you've set the dream, then seek out resources to 
make your dream come true. That is the way startup companies work. The church is the only startup company we will find. At the moment the dream was born, the resources were available. It is to our detriment if we don't make full use of all the resources. We can't lift up. You will be in that stage for, for a very long time, unnecessarily. Prophecies are for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, the Bible says, can you just, 1 Corinthians 14, 3. 1 Corinthians 14, 3. All right, that was a mistake. All right, 1 Corinthians 14, 3. The Bible says, he that prophesies, prophesies for strengthening, right, for encouragement and for comfort. We all need the gift of the Spirit. If the church is going to thrive, we need to be encouraged, we need to be comforted, and most importantly, we need to be strengthened. So the question is this, what are prophecies? What are prophecies? So just quickly, prophecies are spoken words from God through any means that addresses a particular need. Simple. Prophecies are spoken words from God through any means that addresses a particular need. In the Old Testament, Prophecies are prophets acted in the everyday life of, the, of Israel, the, of the covenant people of God. Prophets were acting along with kings. Prophets ruled with kings. Prophets gave direction to the rule of the king. So you find prophet Nathan with who? King David. You find prophet Isaiah with King Ezekiah. You even find Samuel with who? With Saul. Even though he messed it up. So prophecies are supposed to be a normal part of the covenant people of God. But not just among the kings. You find out that even normal people experience the activities of the prophetic. Prophecies was given, for example, to the widow of Zarephath. So that she would not perish along with her child. What this means is this. Prophecies are not supposed to always lead to salvation. God can give you prophecy for your business. God can give you prophecies for your family. In fact, guess what? You need prophecies. I was talking to a parent one day of a teenager, and I said, I said, oh, I want, to, I want to talk to a teenager about it. He said, please go ahead and talk to him. I don't know what to do. We need prophecies. Prophecies are also supposed to make us to become who God wants us to be. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. These things have implications. Imagine the lady I talked about, the lady I talked about just about the blind lady and stuff. Imagine if nobody came to actually prophetically tell her, and this is what God wants for you. She would have been blind. All the church have said, God is sovereign. See how big her faith is. And she's not where God wants her to be. In the very same way, there's this aim. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. There are needless pain that our church members are carrying because some of us are not yielding to the Spirit and we are despising prophecies. You've received a word for somebody, but I am shy. What if I am wrong? What if you are right? And you can actually help a person. I'm going to use this analogy maybe to help us a little bit. Just to prove that prophecies are meant for the church and how dangerous it is for us to despise it. I'm not trying to expose this part. I'm not trying to explain what happened there. But with Abraham and Isaac, God told him, go and slaughter your boy. He got there, he was about to slaughter the boy. Then God spoke again and said, there is a lamb beside you. A prophecy came in a sense and showed him what he was supposed to do. How many times have some of us slaughtered Isaacs when God has made provision for a lamb right beside you? Because somebody is refusing to prophesy. Don't despise prophecies. But secondly, prophecies also come in two ways. They are not just foretelling. 
there is the foretelling aspect of prophecies. Foretelling, that is predicting the future, revealing something that has been hidden. But there is also the foretelling, applying something that already exists to a particular need. In fact, the prophets in the old, in the, in the old covenant, they didn't always foretell. Many times they were foretelling. Check the prophecies of Isaiah, Jeremiah. It's nothing new. They're basically applying what, what Jesus said, what God said in Deuteronomy 28. That oh, this is supposed to happen. And people were, people were disobeying God and said, if you disobey God, so, so, and so will happen. Of course, it's not, it's supposed to happen. It was foretelling. It was foretelling. So in a sense, what I am doing right now, and I'm applying the word to you, is what? Prophetic. That means prophecies can come in different means. Remember the definition I gave? Prophecies, God's spoken word, through different means. That means there are ways that prophecies can come to us that we are ignoring. That means prophecies can come to you in the form of an ad- the advice of a friend. It can come to you in the form of the encouragement of a brother. And this is very, very important because, see, what is the one thing that you hate the most when you are waiting? Silence. Somebody hold me money two weeks ago. I needed the money urgently. The waiting, waiting for that money was harder because he didn't keep on calling me to explain, oh, this is why, this is why, this is why. When you are waiting and it seems like God is silent, the wait becomes harder. But when you can spot around you that God is still speaking to you, is foretelling, is foretelling stuff to you, then you can understand that you are not alone. God has not forgotten you, and you can rejoice and give thanks for the means that, has provi- that He has provided for your own sanctification. Amen. The error of our fathers was that they spiritualized everything. The error of our own time is that we despiritualize everything. God is still speaking today. And some of you might then ask, so is everything prophecy? You know, everything. Someone just talks to me and it just lands. Oh, prophecy. Not necessarily. I'm not saying there's prophecy under every rock. I'm simply saying that if, 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 if God is prophesying and it seems like he's on, he's on one frequency on a radio, you're not tuned in to even listen, even if he's talking in the first place. You've despised it. And it is to our own detriment. But Paul doesn't end there. He tells us to test all things. Hold on to what is good. Reject every form of evil. So Paul knows that prophecies can be wrong. Paul understands that people can give you wrong prophecies. But let me just sound a note of warning. False prophecy is different from a false prophet. Maybe that will help some of us. A false prophecy is different from a false prophet. You can be a Christian and give a false prophecy. It can happen. doesn't make you a false prophet. False prophets in the Bible, the definition is crazy. You can't even be saved. Yeah, it's serious. So be careful when you live. Oh, this person is a false prophet. Be careful. But maybe this will encourage some of us here. It is possible for you to prophesy and be wrong. Sometimes, let me just talk, say a little bit more about prophecies. Prophecies sometimes come in. Two different ways. There are two aspects of prophecies. Prophecies can come as the word itself, the prophecy, and then the prophet himself can instruct you based on, the, based on what he has said. That instruction is not necessarily correct. For example, for example, Agabus in the Bible, in the book of Acts, he said, Paul, whoever owns this thing, whoever owns this thing is going to be bound in Jerusalem. And based on that, that prophecy is true. It was true, but the instruction wasn't. So he instructed Paul, he said, don't go to Jerusalem. Now, that normally makes sense, right? But that was what God wanted him to do at the time. 
Paul is the one that then said, oh, I know God wants me to go, but your instruction is wrong. That means that many times, all this, and I'm not going to say it, all these um, CAC babas that we just consider, oh, they are just so ignorant. They are not for, sometimes the prophecy is correct. It is what they've asked you to do that is wrong. I remember one time when I, when I failed my exam, I was like, okay, I was in medical school and I flunked. Maybe the guy's prophecy was actually. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, maybe I limited the activities of the spirit. Right? And then I flunked, and like a typical Nigerian mother, so my, so my mom says that I'm being spiritually attacked, right? And so she takes me to meet a baba. Not Baba Lao, my mom is a Christian, all right? And then, I mean, okay, Baba Lao means abalist. All right, for those of non Yoruba speakers. And when I got there, we met the Baba. The Baba looked at me. Hey, you're being attacked. And then he said, Hey, you will pray and fast for three days, Noni. Like, that's what you do. He might have been correct on the prophecy, but he just advised me based on wisdom. He just instructed me. If I didn't do that thing, that doesn't mean that I'm not being attacked. And that doesn't mean that God cannot deliver me. There's a difference between the prophecy itself and the instruction. But Paul is then telling us to test all things. And there are three ways to test. One, does this prophecy glorify Christ? Two, does it strengthen, encourage, and comfort? Three, did it come to pass? Simple. So you must have heard maybe some pastors or some people, they prophesy that this thing is going to happen. And we wait. And it didn't happen. That doesn't mean they are false prophets. It means that it was a false prophecy. Does it glorify Christ? One of my friends called me like two weeks ago. And then one of our friends took her to a white garment church. And when they saw her, they, I, for some reason, they always give the same, the same response, whatever problem she brings. So they see the same thing. You are being spiritually attacked. And then they said, and so you will go and buy soap, buy this, buy that, to cook up some things to help you. And then I told her, I said, first and foremost, you didn't need a prophet to tell you that you have been attacked. You're a Christian, of course you have been attacked. Like, duh. <laughs> but secondly, look at the instruction that came with it. It wasn't pointing to Christ. It was pointing to the people and their ability to deliver her because they cooked up certain things. We should... Be careful. Amen. Lastly, and this is what we all need to understand as a church. There are certain people who will never be able to reach except by the gifts of prophecy. We just can't reach them. John chapter 3, Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. John chapter 4, Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman. When he was speaking to Nicodemus, what was he saying? He was breaking theology. He was telling him, except the man be born again. I don't see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus was replying, you know, how can I go into my mother's home? And Jesus was responding to him intellectually. And the thing went well. They got to Samaritan woman and just was saying, I have the living water. The thing no gel. <laughs> he didn't. She was like, and how can you draw? And it doesn't make any sense. By the time Jesus switched and said, where is your husband? He said, he said I don't have a husband. Jesus said, oh, you have five and the one you have which is not with you. Story changed. There are certain people, honestly, we can't reach them. We can't reach them except we are those that are walking by the Spirit. It is possible. See, your evangelism will be more effective if you're actually prophesying. 
For example, that's what we need many times to open a door. There are two different kinds of people. Those that the doors need to be opened intellectually. Those that the doors need to be opened by power. People speak different languages. If you are going to the village and are going to preach to them, it is not, uh, do you know when Jesus died? There are five reasons why we understand that the resurrection happened. You will not save anybody. But if you tell him, you have a father, if this, this, and 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 this is what Jesus can do for you. Jesus can save you. Listen, they will respond. One time I went to for a mission field one day and we we're preaching. We, we tried, we tried so hard. We we're preaching, we we're sweating, we we're doing all those things like that. And one of the, for the Muslim community, and she was just in the side and she said something. This is what she said. I overheard. And she said, But you know that God answers prayers. Imagine if maybe because we have built up capacity in the place of prayer and we are who God wants us to be, we walk up to her. And prophetically, we tell her what is happening to her and that Jesus came to die for her. Do you think she will not listen to you? She will. We can be more effective if we do not despise prophecies. Lastly, when cliches give life. So we have built up capacity. We have moved. What is supposed to happen? Life. Life. There has been a statement in the text that I have not really touched while I was talking. I just didn't really touch it. And it is this. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And this is referring. No, it's not referring to God's divine decree, you know, God's will. The Bible says God's word shall not go forth and come back in voice, accomplish that for which it has been sent. It's not referring to that one. It's referring to God's moral requirements. This is what God wants you to do. And there's a way we are supposed to respond to it. But historically, people have responded to it in different ways. And it has even become a cliche line. So you can imagine when God came to meet Adam. And he said, you can eat of the fruit of every tree. But you can't eat of the fruit of, knowledge, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And you can imagine Adam saying to Jesus, saying to God rather, I will do what you've asked. I will do your will. And that's a very, very cliche thing to say. Yeah, I'll do your will. Okay. It took him one chapter, and in the next chapter, he was saying, not your will, but let my own will be done. The story continues. We get to Israel upon Mount Sinai. God comes and gives them the law and shows them what they ought to do. And they said in Exodus chapter, Exodus chapter 19, which I can't, I can't find it. Oh, Exodus chapter 19, verse 2. We will do everything the Lord has said. We will do everything the Lord has said, not our will, but let your will be done. But we know, according to the history and what we've read in the Bible, that these guys didn't do God's will. They did their own will. And so the story continues with Adam, with David, with Daniel, with different men, seeking out for the one person that will be able to say fully and not go back on his word. Not my will, but let your will be done. I will surrender to you and you alone. We get to Gethsemane and we find Jesus. In our own future, while we are waiting, we are waiting for life. We are waiting for the time where mortality will be swallowed up by immortality, where death will be swallowed up by life. What he was waiting for was death. And the question is, how did Jesus cope in that period? What was he doing in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was praying. 
Jesus had built up so much capacity in the place of prayer such that when the time came and they made a demand for him, he produced results and he said, not my will, but let your will be done. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10, he said, here I am. It is written about me in this scroll. I have come to do your will. And because Jesus obeyed, life came to everybody. If we ourselves can act like Jesus and say, look, we have come to do your will. According to what is written concerning us, we will pray, we will fast, we will not quench the spirit, we will not despise prophecies. Life can also flow from us into the city of Lagos. The only way we can change this city, the only way we can change the world, literally, is if we follow God's moral requirements. These seemingly silly cliches, these normal things that can build us up, these normal things that can help us to act in power, these normal things that God has commanded us to do. See, it is our duty to plant. It is our duty to water. It is God's duty to send the increase. But God will not plant for you. God will not water for you. God will not tarry in the place of prayer for you. There is something that we are supposed to do as Christians. It is to surrender to his will and become who God has, who God has called us to be. And as I was talking, some of you understand, I was talking to you. Oh, you'll be feeling this nudging in your spirit that God is calling me to prophesy more. But then you've been quenching it. I am scared. I'm afraid. God is speaking to you today. Don't despise it. Speak up. For many of us, you used to pray, pray well. You used to push in the place of prayer. You used to pray until something happens, but life has happened to you. Now you are calm. God is calling us as a church. The question is whether we are going to respond to him. Last week, we prayed. We sang rather, build your church. Build your church. Build it from the ground up. This week, God is saying, as he has always said, I will build my church. The question is whether you will join me. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos. <laughs>